0: Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It's hump day halfway through the week. Now, some people are saying, I don't have weeks. Other people are saying my week is just beginning. We're all in different schedules. I get it. I get it. But we're all here together now. Question of the night, it's up on our love Line IG page, so weigh in on that. Got a great show planned for you. Talking about a couple topics today that are um, things I'm a big fan of. Uh, spiritual bypassing. It's a huge concept, and there's a spinoff in my field, more psychological or emotional bypassing, and most of us do it. I even catch myself doing it. We're gonna talk about what that is. It's a powerful term. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Apparently, I love P words. Also, as I uh, was talking about last night, on a segment talking about the uh, myth of self-esteem. Key word is it's the self parts that's the myth. We'll be breaking that on down. And then uh, also talking about something called childism. Yep, neologisms, new words. I love them, new words, new concepts. Why? It's evolution. It's all about adding new things to the dictionary and to our vocabulary. I'm here for it. I love stuff like this. Some people get frustrated, but you know, I'll tell you, one thing I'm frustrated by is when I found out that there's a new policy in terms of how many spaces between words after a period like, why does that matter? I think it was two. Now they made it one. Whose job is that to make that decision? And why does that matter? You know, it's, it's called trying to keep yourself busy. All right, let's get into some news though. CDC, they've issued a dire warning. Uh, yeah, y'all, for fall. They're saying coronavirus measures, if they're not followed, we are gonna be in for a nasty fall. And use that word literally and in and, and the meaning. We're gonna be dropping and also the fall season. We got work to do. I'm horrified. Um, Dr. Robert Redfield, director of the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, told CNN that unless the US starts to follow the recommended coronavirus measures, we will have, and I quote, the worst fall in US public health history. You guys, get it together. That is horrifying to me. I don't want to not be able to go outside. He said if people do four simple things wear a mask, social distance, wash your hands, and be smart about crowds, then the fall won't be as bad. Hear that key word, qualifier, as bad. Not great, not perfect, not safe, not as bad. That's what we're up against, just the not as badness. Oh my gosh. He's also recommending that people get the flu vaccine, especially kids, while the vaccine won't stop coronavirus, it will give your body extra antibodies needed to fight off other sicknesses. You don't want to pile it on, right? Also, for the first time, Airbnb is taking legal action against an unauthorized party during the pandemic. Again, based on what I just shared, how are we still having parties? Well, they are. And uh, that's because a guest violated its ban on unauthorized parties during the coronavirus. Well, yeah, because people rent these homes and they're trying to limit exposure to others. They can only clean so much. So they're not going to release the guest name, which is good. That's none of our business. That would be just gossiping. Um, And this was in Sacramento, but they did say that they fought a lawsuit because the guest violated its open invite party's role. Not only did the party violate corona gathering regulations in the state, but it also violated the home owner's policy and Airbnbs. I mean, oh gosh, wait, I got to add this in. Three people were shot and wounded at the party last weekend. Whoa, this is quite a story. I don't want to get into that part, although I know that's pretty juicy. I want to get into the other part. Y'all, someone else is going to come in and rent that home after you. God. <laughs> bless also dunkin donuts is releasing their pumpkin spice next week dunkin donuts more importantly now has a beyond meat or an impossible burger i can't remember which one i think it's the impossible burger which is a meatless patty for their uh biscuit sandwich, John John. Now the cheese is probably still dairy. So, you know, order it without that, but uh, it's all about plant-based y'all. So get that, get that patty. And then, um, also Fisher price love. I love, I don't know what it is. I love updating things on Mattel's Barbie dolls and toys and children's books. I think because it's, it's, it's working on building change from the ground up, you know, backwards forward. So I like it having kids have a different kind of experience. So I think that's why I'm excited, but Fisher price drops new COVID themed work from home toys for kids talk about mean people where they're at I mean I don't know if I'm ready to get that real but hey toys and play are a really great way to have an entry point into dialoguing with children about their emotional or psychological experience right play therapy and just spending that time where they're distracted, they're feeling safe, they're feeling connected, things can start to flow. Sometimes it's very overwhelming and we can use this with adults as well to sit someone down, looking at them directly um, in a really intensive way. And that's why people, when they need to have a difficult conversation, it's best if they go for a walk. So people can look away, there's other things to kind of buffer, they don't feel contained, it makes us feel safer. But um, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. I and mean, it's kind of adorable. Fisher Price dropped their new My Home Office set Ready for this one? Mini laptop, an iPhone, a headset, coffee cup, a mini desk, and a chair for baby bosses. Oh, my God. I don't know if I'm ready for that one. I really am not sure. It's it's like capitalism dripping down into our own play. Getting kids ready for what life's going to look like in the future. I mean, I don't know if I want kids playing with an office set. Like, let them play with things that are more imaginative, not like getting them ready to have to encounter these things for the rest of their lives. I don't know. Anyway... Question nights up on our Loveline IG page, and the stories weigh in on that. And then we'll be doing some DMs. DMs are always open. Whatever your questions are, we're here to answer them. Get some free therapy, y'all. Come on. Um, and then we'll be talking about spiritual bypassing. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on radio.com. Right now, children and their families all over Southern California are going to bed hungry. Channel Q and radio.com have an easy way that you can help feed local students and their families. Text the word NEED to 76278 to give a buck. And also put food in the mouth of a hungry child and their loved ones. Just $1, it's going to make a big difference. Learn more about Feed Our Families on our socials and at wearechannelq.com. All right, we're back. And uh, we're going to talk about some stuff that's kind of floating around in pop culture. It's interesting. We, we are, we're big fans here in America of like pulling threads. From other cultural norms, values, or practices. But what can happen in doing so is we miss the heart of the message. We miss the heart of that technology. And that's what I call them technologies as a way to just, I guess, recognize that they're vehicles we can use in service of improving or shifting or changing, but it's it's a it's a technology, right? It's not technologically based, but it's it's a vehicle, it's a tool, it's a resource. And what can sometimes happen is anything that comes from another culture, once it enters our culture, it gets Americanized and it really starts to be used to fit American goals. So let's use one example, yoga. You know, yoga initially was a technology. It was a practice that helped you connect to the divine. It was to connect to God. It was not about getting ripped abs and a a yoga butt. It was about connecting. It was a pathway. And now it's used You know, in our gym and diet culture obsessed um, mindset here, it's used to enhance the body, right? Because in America, we're very focused on body to the detriment of emotionality, spirituality, and mental health. And that's why part of my job has been just reminding people to consider and pay attention to mental health. Oh, people already have a covered. They're well aware of their body and how to kind of work with that. But it's this mental piece, the spiritual and emotional piece. And so things often get misused. And so just the whole general concept of spirituality, many people have misunderstood or misused as a way to actually avoid doing the work. What I mean by that is let's look at toxic positivity, this whole perspective that we should always be thinking positive, always be happy, always look to the bright side, But what that does is it actually moves us away from mental health because that shames feeling quote unquote bad and feeling bad is part of the human experience. It's a healthy part of psychology. It's okay to feel depressed or anxious at times. That's in fact, that's a sign of being human. It's a sign of being fully present and participating in life and in the world, right? And the idea that we need to always ignore that or move from way, move away from that or shame that in service of positivity is inherently a lack of mental health. It's a move away from mental health. So it's about recognizing that all emotions are acceptable. There are no good ones or bad ones, negative or positive. They're just different experiences and energies we have to learn how to work with and carry all of them, right? So spiritual bypassing or psychological bypassing is any technique or any tool or any technology we use to yet again avoid having to encounter feeling sad, bad, or anything that feels just darker, right? Um, because culturally we don't have a lot of tolerance for really facing or encountering or internalizing and going into what our pain is. And so we, we, t- we try to find practices or beliefs that help us avoid painful feelings. And that's not emotional development, right? Always trying to avoid and always going away from. And one of the most powerful ways that we can see it all the time is anger phobia where people will say, uh, quiet down, turn it down, chill out. And it's like, no, anger, we have to learn how to encounter anger. I mean, of course, there's always a um, healthy versus unhealthy expression. And, and, And in this segment, I'm just assuming we mean the healthy version. I'm not normalizing anything that's meant to injure someone or harm someone or to be oppressive. So having said that, I'm talking about the use of these things in relationship of a healthy context, right? And one of the You know, most overt ways that we really engage in this spiritual bypassing or psychological bypassing, again, the word bypass means to avoid the actual work, is when we put the labels of positive or negative, good or bad, on emotions, as if these are givens. Because remember, emotions aren't as clear, as clean cut as that's anger, that's sadness. Sometimes they morph, sometimes they go back and forth, sometimes they're just not experiences that we have a label for, but they're still real. And the more and the deeper, the more we investigate the reality of our lives, the clearer it becomes that ascribing these qualities like good, bad, negative are actually an, an avoidance of sitting with and learning how to work within, right? Because we just think about it. When I say the word bad, you can feel in your body a tenseness, we close, we lean away from. And so anything that's labeled as bad, inherently you're gonna start to generate that associative experience of it. And that is not a good thing. That is a good thing for things that are gonna truly injure you and harm you, right? That's a good unconscious implicit response. But that gets misused. And we wanna learn how to lean in and be more present to these vulnerable states. Because again, that is what relationship is. When we have fun with someone, that's great. But it's when we're able to sit deeper and longer and share these vulnerable feelings that we really walk away being like, wow, we really just connected, that was deep. Think about it. We use that word, we'll be like, that was deep. What do we apply that to? Something that penetrated, something that was heavy and powerful. We don't laugh with someone or have a a, a, a good time and then say that was deep, right? And so I love that we we throw that word around when we really feel like we sat with something, we really felt like we got wrong, we bared ourselves, our souls. That's when connection and relationality is built. So we don't want to do things that pull us away from that. And and the interesting paradox of that is that the the more anxiety or fear we have of encountering these emotions that we've seen as bad or wrong, the more, the more extreme and the more intense our solutions in bypassing it start to become because we can't spend our entire lives or relationships avoiding encountering these difficult emotions or even conversations. And so it starts to get more intensive, the the techniques we have to use to avoid um, actually sitting and having those talks. I mean, let me tell you, working with couples that have done this work where they're always maintaining a space or a distance because we're just not able to tolerate or gonna allow those difficult conversations or the expression of, depression, anxiety, dissatisfaction, frustration, whatever it is, there is so much space and distance in other ways that show up, right? Like it's it's universalized and the work is so tedious of learning how to tolerate and bring those things back in. Um, so for you, the takeaway is a couple things. One, when you're feeling something, challenge yourself to not label it as that's a good feeling, that's a bad feeling. Just be with it. Label it as what is, I feel sad, I feel happy. Okay, number two, don't try to immediately shut it off or distance from it, just sit with it. Say, I'm feeling sad right now, it's okay, allow it. Number three, be very thoughtful about how you let other people label it or engage it. You know, and you'll see that. People will try to pull you away from whatever it is. The minute you say, I'm sad or I'm anxious, they'll say, Let's. you know what I mean? They always try to find a, a solution they wanna fix. Stop them, say, let me stop you. Let me just sit in this or say to them, I don't need a solution. I just want to express or share what I'm going through. But if you walk around, you'll notice you and other people are constantly trying to bypass that moment and that experience. But it's a developmental need we have, and it leads us further into the relationships we want to be a part of. All right, we got to go to break. I could talk about this for a while longer, but when we come back next, we're going to do DMs. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back, and uh, DMs are coming up next. Jump the gun on that last one. Okay, so we're going to talk about the myth of self esteem. We are finally, finally recognizing that we are open systems. Your mental health, your psychology, your emotional health, it's not just tied to who you are and what you're doing or not doing. It's also impacted by the world we live in, right? So your identity, your social position in the world, that matters. It's called intersectionalism, meaning if you're a black man, uh, the fact that you 're a man or the fact that you 're black, whether you 're cis or trans, all those pieces are coming at us right we are We are impacted by the way the world treats us based on all the different positions and identities that we have out in the world right So for instance, if we 're talking about someone's self-esteem and someone 's self esteem and there 's someone and they are trans of color and a female, those are three really exploited marginalized identity. And so we have to take into account that. We can't just say, oh, you're struggling with self-esteem. It's internal work. It's like, well, no, I also exist in these different contexts. And we live in a transphobic world, a racist world, right? And a sexist world. And so that's not my fault. That's not my doing. I'm at the receiving end of that, right? So when we just talk about self-esteem as about the self, sometimes it's victim blaming because sometimes it's like, Wow, you are doing your best to survive in a world that is, you know, homophobic, transphobic, whatever it is. So if you're a white cis hetero male, a white cis hetero upper class male, you're not necessarily gonna have you're not necessarily going to have to encounter all of those social constructions also coming at you. And so maybe for you the work is just more internal. You know, let me look at the world I'm participating in and that I've created and how's that impacting my self-worth or my self-esteem were for other people of other exploited, marginalized identities. And some people have many, many of them uh, because again, we're talking about class. We're talking about race. We're talking about gender, sexual expression, all these different pieces all come together. And so remember that our self-worth and our self-esteem is reflected back to us. And so it's not this idea that, you know, if you have self-esteem, it's always there no matter what's happening or what people say around you. That's not true. And that's not honest. And that's not how it will ever work. It's called empathy And that means that we do care about other people. Um, It's called mirror neurons and that we're open systems. And what that means is that the opinions and the relationships we're a part of, right? The worlds we swim in, we internalize that. And so we can't discount that. And so the work of self-esteem is thinking in relational terms. And that's why I call it relational esteem, relational worth. And that means looking at all the different things we're a part of and looking at how that impacts us. Does it fuel? the positive strengthening parts, or does it weaken? And really really attending to that. What are the conversations I participate in? What are the social groups and populations that I socialize in? Let me look at the larger world. Let me look at the impact the job I have has on me. And those are some of the targets. So if you're struggling with self-worth and self-esteem, you have to be able to call out these externalized factors that are important and impact you, while also saying what is the internal work, right? What do I have control over and what can I change? And what am I at the mercy of? Because for some people, they'll always just be doing enough because they only have so much control over some of these forces. You know, let's use another example. When I work with individuals that have a larger body or are fat identified, we live in a fat phobic culture. They are not given the opportunity to go very far in their day without having to encounter via a friend, a family member, something in a book, a TV show, a song, a billboard, something saying that your body is bad or wrong. And so they're constantly going up against that. Where there's other people in the world that the world is actually in support of every element to who they are. And so they're not forced multiple times throughout the day to be battle something saying to them, you're not of worth, you're not of value, you're not attractive. Think about that. Um, that's in there. And so the work is about trying to curate and lessen the impact that the world has on you based on how you exist in the world. And that's ongoing work. You know, again, we've talked about some of this. It's, it's, it's looking at what are you watching? What are you listening to? What are you following on social media? And removing some of that stuff or shifting it so that it speaks back to who you are and empowers you looking at the way you let people talk to you and the conversations you partake in. Even, I know for me, I've had to stop people and say, hey, listen, I'm gonna stop you. I'm not comfortable with this conversation because they're not aware that maybe some of the things they're saying are telling me I'm not okay as I am. You know, whether whatever it is, we are up against our height, our performance, there's so many pieces. So just remember that the work of self-esteem is really looking at what worlds am I swimming in and what is it saying to me? What is the messages that I'm internalizing from it? Because none of these things are neutral. And that's why it's systemic esteem. It's relational esteem. It's not just self-esteem. It's not just me on my own. And that's why we have to be activists in the world and really look at the systems that we're partaking in and how can we change them so that we're not constantly oppressed by them or other people, right? So it's it's all the different levels we have to hit. It's It's such meaningful things. And that's the beauty. Some of we have control over other elements. We don't, but I know when I looked around at the world, I was swimming in all the many worlds. And I was looking back at back what they were reflecting back to me. Um, that was, that was really helpful. It's not just that internal work, but it is the internal work too. How do I talk about myself? Cause we're with ourselves all day long and we start to pay attention to self-talk. We start to sometimes realize that we're not challenging or building more positive self-talk. And I'll tell you, when you externalize it, you get some responses because we are so comfortable with people putting themselves down, saying, I look fat, or that that looks cheap, all these different things that are classist or sizist. People are a little more comfortable with that they're like, oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. But when you are you know, positive, you say, wow, I feel like I look really good today or I look really great in that photo. People, oh, it's, it's, it's not humble. It's narcissistic. No, that's actually what healthy esteem sounds like. We should be able to really compliment ourselves, um, not to a level of obnoxiousness, but just to a level of more positive self-talk. But it's interesting how uncomfortable and unfamiliar we are at that. But start trying to talk positively about yourself. Be a positive force in other people's lives. Start talking positively about them. Catch yourself um, complimenting them. Uh, do it more and catch yourself when you want to critique and maybe withhold that, right? We're all, we're all in it together. It's a feedback loop. Um, all right, coming up next, DMs. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. We want you to explore the confidence. Here we go. Our DMs come from our Loveline IG page. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, my boyfriend and I haven't had sex in almost four months. I had body issues. I felt embarrassed, even though he said he loves me no matter what. I believe him 1,000% when he says that. I'm coming to terms with my body image, but I feel like we've become just friends. Little kisses here and there, still call each other babe. that's about it, I don't know what to do. Yeah, this isn't uncommon. Remember... It ebbs and flows. It's going to change. So if you're feeling great, cool. Be prepared for maybe a period when you're not. If you're not feeling great, remember, there'll be a period where maybe you will. T- they, they tend to ebb and flow based on so many factors. You know, interest in sexuality and desire is such a sensitive, fragile thing, and it's really brought forth or quieted down by different things. So it's all about figuring that out. First off, right? Like what for you, most is, or most is, what's most arousing for you? What's erotic, eroticizing? I don't know why I can't speak. Uh, and also, what are the things that tend to get in the way of you feeling desire and really participating in that? What is the gas? What's also the break? You want to you want to really understand both. Um, but I would say a couple things. You have to talk to your partner. Make sure that they're still on board. I don't want to coach you to start working on sex if you are in a relationship with someone who's no longer interested and that's gone. So you have to have that difficult conversation. Hey, we haven't had sex in four months. I, I want to talk about if that's born out of any Thing relational or or what is that? So you, you always have to talk. I'm a big fan of people getting clarity. I don't like giving advice that circumvents or again or, or psychologically bypasses really doing the difficult work, which means you have to face it head on. Otherwise, we're making a lot of assumptions. So you have to say to your partner, why do you think we're not having sex anymore? How do you feel about the relationship? And if they say the relationship feels good to me, you know, taking what they said, but you have to get more familiar with it. Your your sexual desire's there. I'm not hearing you say you don't have any sexual interest. Your sexual desire is there. It's just you're not acting from it. So when you're starting to feel aroused, I want you to bring it to your partner. Start initiating sex. That's basically the the short answer. And let your partner have the moment to decide if they're willing or not willing because maybe they need to get more familiar with sex again. And so all they need is willingness. You, you initiate and they're willing to go along for the ride. And then they start to be reminded how good sex can feel and how good that closeness might feel to you. So that's really what I want to leave you with is not a tip or technique, but say, go get clarity from your partner about why they think you guys haven't been having sex and how do they feel about the relationship. And if it's not a relational issue, ask them what. Yeah, what's what's the deal with sex? Maybe they'll have a reason that immediately has a solution tied to it. But I, you need to get feedback from them. I don't want to just operate from the place of assuming that, also in the relationship and their sexual interest is still there. It might not be. Also, sex might have gotten boring. Again, something that your partner can answer for you. But you know, you're saying you're kissing still, calling each other babe. Build on that. Flirt, 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 flirt. Initiate, 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 and um, see what comes of that. But. Lead the charge. You know, inherently in your question, I want to make sure it doesn't mean that there's something you think they need to be doing, but we have to create the relationship and the sex lives we want to have. So there's work to do on your part in that, you know? And these kind of conversations sometimes unearth other difficult conversations, but they need to be had. There's nothing worse than us moving forward with our head in the sand, uh, not addressing what needs to be addressed so we can both be happy. We don't have to be in relationships. And so be in ones that are meaningful and bring joy. And if not, work on it. And if not, get out. Be single. Find someone new, right? Relationships shouldn't be a prison sentence. We're, we're we're over here trying to do prison abolition already, anyway. Get rid of the carceral system. So we're not going to definitely turn relationships into the new prison, you know? Um, as an anti-abolitionist, I can't I can't support that. But more importantly, again, I'm I'm afraid that what I'm hearing the question is: me and my partner don't know how to have difficult adult conversations, and so start there. And this should be one of them, you know. Um, That's the lesson in this, folks, y'all. That's the lesson, y'all, in this. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's been a long day. Is that a lot of our things, a lot of our problems are solved by seeking clarity. And that's what I want y'all to decide moving forward. Like that you're going to move forward with your partners, your loved ones, family members, having honest conversations. Getting clarity, not assuming. That's one of the number one things I do in my office all the time is start getting people more tolerant of having real adult conversations can solve a lot of things All right, coming up next. We're going to talk about childism. Basically what it is, is it's us trying to start a movement where we give children more rights and more value than they've been afforded thus far in our culture. Truly really beautiful stuff. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back question of the night. It's up on our Loveline IG page. So weigh in on that. And then DMs. We'll be doing that later in the show, as well as talking about rules for marriage, marital rules. I could spend every single segment talking about that stuff. There, there's so many things to consider and to think about, but I got you back. We'll be talking about it. But now we're going to talk about something called childism. It's basically looking at prejudice that we hold against children. And remember, as adults, we are still at the mercy. Often all the different things that happen to us as a child—it's in childhood that our self-worth, our self-esteem, really starts to get instilled in us. In fact, we spend most of our adulthoods consciously and unconsciously trying to undo and work through the damage of things that happened to us as child, as children. And you know, everything that happens between, let's say, childhood and adulthood, that either reinforces and strengthens the issue, beneficial or negative, uh, or dismantles it. And it can go in either direction. All the things that happen, but childhood. It's really interesting, the lack of rights that we apply and the the disempowerment and also the prejudices that we hold. And when I was really thinking about this, studying this, and really looking at the ways that it maybe applies directly to sex and relationships, I could start to really make some powerful connections that were really really unfortunate you know children are seen as blank slates and they're not they do come into the world with some genetic pieces right that are going to impact them they are born into a world that from an early age based on their gender their race their class all these different pieces they're going to start to get treated a certain way we we even know from studies that if someone is born quote unquote a boy that they are treated a little more roughly than someone who's born as a girl we choose the things they're going to wear the toys that we're going to give them access to the tone of voice we'll use, the way we maybe reprimand them or, or, or rear them, all of that is based on all these different qualities. And that starts to build who the child is. And so this whole idea that the children should only exist as to serve an adult's needs is a denial of the rights, the value, but also the developmental needs of the child. And we, we use this example this is more psychoanalytics, but it applies to pets that's the the easiest way to really explain this it's called cathexis and we'll call we'll call our relationship to a lot of different things in the world maybe a plant a movie a person a pet we'll say we love them but love does have certain conditions and certain qualities and What we often do for certain things is we instead we'll call it maybe love, but what's actually cathexis, because true love is about wanting what's best for someone. True love is about wanting this person to really be their authentic, true selves, right? We want what's best for them, we want them to be happy, we want them to be autonomous and decide for themselves what they need, that's love. But we don't afford that, let's say, to our pets. We don't say in our head, or even literally out loud to the dog or the cat, I want you to do what you need to do here. It's all about you and your comfort and you exploring and you developing who you are. Instead, we want our pets' lives to be centered around our comfort and our needs. So we'll say when they can eat, when they can't, what they can eat, what furniture they can and cannot go on, when they can bark and not bark. We literally center their lives around our needs. So that's not love. We have love for them, but that's not, it's a different form. And it's called cathexis often where we care about someone's growth and development to our own limits until it starts to impact us. And then we start asserting ourselves and push back. We do that with kids. We rarely say, you know, what does a child need? And maybe it's not in my best interest, what's in the child's best interest. And so I'll center the child. Sometimes we do, we'll see that with uh, finances and care and support and how we provide, but we often don't do that in the emotional context, right? And we literally center the child's lives around what the adult needs. I think a really good example is when we talk about consent, we most of the time fail to give the child the capacity to decide what happens with their bodies. We will, as parents or family members, either force ourselves on them and just grab them and hug them or kiss them or force them to hug or kiss someone else versus saying, listen, it's your body. And you get to decide who and when and how they touch it or engage it. Um, If you don't want to say hi to so-and-so, you don't have to. Or you can tell me that you don't want to be touched right now. Or a parent." asking a child, is it okay if I touch you? Instilling in them, but what we do instead is we remove that and we'll say, you're the child, I'm the parent, and so I can do what I want to you, and that starts to tell them that there are cases and there are people that there's gonna be a power differential, and it gets them familiar with the idea that certain people can sometimes tell them what can be done with their body. and we expect them magically as an adult to understand consent and boundaries and autonomy with themselves and with others, but yet it's never been shown or instilled in them. Even look at the structure of school. You have to ask to go to the bathroom. You can't even honor your natural desire need to go to the bathroom, you have to ask. I'm also gonna tell you to sit still, upright, for a certain length of time. Like We are always trained out of our bodies, but especially children. And so what would happen to adults if as children, we allow them to have worth and value, we allow them to have boundaries, we allow them to have privacy. We often don't even afford children privacy. We'll just go in the room when we want, not let them to have a lock on the door. We don't knock before we enter. We don't let them have any privacy. We, we'll go through the room or make them let us know everything that they have or that's going on. We'll read their diaries, sense go through their phones, right? Childism. And we have to think about what does that, what does that do to them or what, what, what kind of adulthood does that set them up for, you know, to create or to allow? So we have to start to look at, how do we cheat children? How do we talk to them? Do we disrespect them? Do we talk to them in ways that we would never talk to or allow from another adult? Think about that too. What we'll say, when we'll say it. It's really interesting. And we want so much respect for adults, but we don't give it to children. There's no true reason why that should be. And so what would it mean if we balanced it? So a lot of different movements coming out of um, different people of colors, backgrounds, that they're starting to dismantle this. So we'll talk more about it. But coming up next, rules for marriage. That's right. I got your back. And this applies to all relationships. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Radio.com. Right now, children and their families all over Southern California are going to bed hungry. Channel Q and Radio.com have an easy way for you to help feed local students and their families. Text the word NEED to 76278 to give a buck and put food in the mouth of a hungry kid and their loved ones. Just $1 to make a big difference. Learn more about Feed Our Families on our socials and at wearechannelq.com. All right, time for some relationship counseling, a little couples therapy. So let's see here. How do I always try to explain this? When I travel and I lecture and I'm talking about couples therapy, I remind people that our, our romantic relationships, much like being a parent, being a parent in romantic relationships are two of the more transformative relationships we can be in where we get an opportunity to learn most about ourselves and also work on ourselves. Uh, Our children and our partners essentially hold up a mirror and they let us know where our work is. And so if you wanna know how I how you can be doing more work psychologically, you'll say, hey, Dr. Chris, you are always saying we focus too much on our bodies and our physical health to the detriment of our mental health. How do I start working on my mental health? And I've said things like take time being self-reflective, uh, track and listen to your self talk, read some worthwhile self-help, there's a lot of crap out there, journal, do active imagination, I'll talk more about that, self-care, pleasure, leisure. But this is another piece, look at who you are in all the different relationships you're in. Maybe look at the top three, uh, whether it's you being parent, friend, or parent, partner. Uh, Pick a few and say, what what can I learn about who I am based on how I see myself moving through these relationships? What parts of myself do I see that I want to work on and change? What parts of myself do I see that I want to enhance and strengthen and do more of? I mean, that's the beauty of breakups, right? After we've mourned the loss and work through some of the damage. If there is some, we get to say, okay, now my work is to say, who was I in that relationship? What parts am I not proud of? What ways did I see myself acting? And again, notice how I'm not talking about the other person. Um, the other person matters in that they're part of co-creating the scenarios in which you acted those ways, but you acted those ways. That's all about you. No one can make us act a certain way. They can trigger and bring up situations, feelings, emotions, but, how we respond is the parts we have to work at and examine, right? That's self-awareness, knowing what you're working on. And so we look back at our past relationships and we say, who, who do I not want to see myself being again? The ways I talked, the ways I spoke to someone, the tone, the behaviors, how did I manage my disappointment and frustration? And then the positives, what was I proud of seeing myself do? What do I want to do more of? When was I so kind? When was I really doing my work? When was I powerfully working on maintaining romance and sexuality? When was I prioritizing our relationship, right? Because when we enter a romantic relationship, we go from an I and a me to an us and a we. we. We merge. We attach if it's a healthy relationship. We do that with parents and family members as well. There's an attachment system. They become meaningful to us. And then we start to create another identity, right? And there's nothing unhealthy or codependent in that. That's just neurobiology that happens. So there's a couple of things you want to think about, though. <clears throat> so there's that's the first couple of pieces I called out. Like that's the that's the framework to enter this. Um, so what are some things you want to look at? Well, a couple of the big ones that come up a lot are first off the difference between being assertive and aggressive. Being aggressive. Some people think is being empowered, telling it like it is, speaking truth, and often it's not, it's just aggression, and aggression isn't productive. Aggression's painful, so if you see some of the things you're saying and doing and the ways you're acting just harming you, others, and relationships, it's probably aggression. Because assertion might not always feel awesome, but it doesn't erode or eat away or negatively impact the relationship, right? So aggression does, aggression's just mean and harmful. It has no respect in it. It injures us, them, and the relationship. And it's usually done in service of trying to control other people, where assertion is about self-care. When we're asserting ourselves, we're just talking about our boundaries, what we are willing to do and not do and who we are. Assertiveness is just about speaking up. But the difference also between assertion and aggression is that assertion is relational. It takes into account in its tone and its word choice that I'm talking to someone that I care about and that I want to, that I want to stay in relationship to me and with me. And so it speaks in that way. It doesn't make it unsafe for them to stay in it with me in the moment or longer. But aggressive people, the people, the person they're receiving at, if they're healthy, they'll walk away. They can't be in that moment with you or with you in general. And so assertion keeps it safe for us to stay close. Assertiveness says it's safe to talk. Assertiveness might be difficult. It might be sometimes very vulnerable. But again, there's self-care in that. It's about the person speaking, setting a boundary, explaining who they are, speaking up. Also, another one is about making versus criticizing or complaining. And that's what we usually do. We want something to be different or we have a need. Sometimes we'll criticize or complain. And again, that doesn't get us what we want. That doesn't make the person feel cared for or respected because complaining and criticizing fall more into aggression We're instead make a request. So instead of saying you never uh, act in a romantic way towards me. That's a criticism. That's a complaint. doesn't make the person feel motivated or care for, but the request is, Hey, I miss romance. Can we focus more on romance? Or, Hey, I miss when you used to do little romantic things for me. It would mean a lot if you would start doing that again. I know you're busy, but that would mean a lot to me. That's a request. That's assertive. That feels good. The person can hear that you're not name calling. You're not saying they don't ever do something. You're not attacking. That's the way you want to be. So be assertive, not aggressive. And that's part of that subheading is making requests, not criticizing or complaining. Because again, the whole word I want you to wrap up in all this is it's about being relational. Be a relational person. So whatever relationships you're in, being relational means speaking, acting, and treating them from a perspective that says I honor our relationship. I want to maintain our relationship. That is why I'm being assertive and making requests because I want to keep this. And that's gotta be part of a healthy relationship. We have to be able to turn to our partners, friends, family members, loved ones, colleagues, and say, listen, this is what's this is what it's like to be in this. This is what I'm struggling with. Can we make some changes? That's a sign of care. Care is not going silent. Care is not withholding that. Care is not just building resentments. That's aggression. That's like a covert internalized form of aggression. So don't do that. So remember, it's assertiveness, right? Being relational, making requests. Um, that's, that's the work and we can apply that to all of our relationships, marriages, romantic, sexual, social, familial. So start applying that stuff. Um, tomorrow I'm going to talk about a couple more, uh, relational skill-based things. Cause I want to build more of that into the shows. Cause I think that that's something that's kind of lacking right now. And I know that with COVID we're, excuse me, many of us closer to others in some ways, we're also self-isolating with some individuals. And so a lot of this stuff It's pretty meaningful and coming up for us. All right, coming up next, Question of the Night. It's up on our Loveline IG page, as always, in the stories. And then we'll be sliding into those DMs. So uh, got any thoughts or questions, pop on in there. And, of course, all the past episodes of Loveline, you can find at wearechannelq.com. So go check them out. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, it's time for Question of the Night. Tonight's Question of the Night. Former president. Former presidential, I should say, nominee, Andrew Yang, says we need a four-day work week, especially after the pandemic. Finland and New Zealand, both run by women, wink, wink, have already proposed a four-day work week as part of their coronavirus economic recovery plans. So the question of the night is, what benefits would you get out of a four-day work week? This is interesting. There was a study that, we talked about this on the show a couple months ago, there's a study that came out of China. And it tested this for I forgot the length of time was, but it was it was a length amount of lengthy amount of time. It wasn't like just a month or so. And they were looking at the rates of productivity, how were they increased and satisfaction for employee, right? as a result of a four-day work week. And they saw increases in both, that there was more productivity and more happiness when people had a shorter work week. Well, the happiness part makes sense, I think, for most, because the shorter work week gave them more time to spend engaging in hobbies, their life, imagine that, pleasure, and it made them more competent and more productive at work because they weren't tired, they weren't burned out. They were more engaged in their lives and it made them show up to the office happier. Happiness will make you more productive. Being less stressed out and overburdened will make you more productive. And so they got more done. So it's this odd notion that five days means more because we know that a lot of people aren't working the entire time that they're at the office or the workspace, nor nor can one. We, we inherently need breaks, but sh- shrinking it down actually got more out of them, which is what everyone's always trying to do. So anyway, God bless it. So question of the night, what benefits would you get out of a four-day work week? Ooh, sleep. First person said, more time to relax and get things done around the house for my partner and I. I know, that's what winds up happening, right? We work and then we come home, our downtime, that's supposed to be for pleasure, self-care, rest, gets occupied with errands and housekeeping, thereby not giving us a restful time off, right? It it hurts my heart when I see that from people. Uh, someone else said, visit family more. That would be really great for my mental health right now. I appreciate that. I I would as well if I had more time to travel and see my family. That would help me and yeah, more days off again, because you're going to use some of that time to be doing household stuff. So you're working, right? And then family can get built in there. Uh, Question night: what benefits would you get out of a four day work week? Someone said sanity. Going home after work is not a thing anymore. I work and live in the office. Isn't that heartbreaking? Um, It's not why we're here. You know, I hope you like what you're doing, but you need a new job or you need some boundaries around it. I don't know which one it is, but you gotta do something. That's not a way to live. Someone else said rest and more rest and rest. Yeah, I like that. And again, I like that you didn't call it laziness. It's it's downtime, it's rest, it's healing, it's nourishing. It's also resistance to cultural norms and values that you're, you're not willing to participate in. So there's something so stunning in that. So I keep reminding everyone, the trifecta, right? Pleasure, I'm sorry, the trifecta is self-care, pleasure, rest. Uh, someone else said, question of the night, what benefit would you get out of a four-day work week? Someone said, actual time for myself to stop and appreciate life. That's the thing. We need stillness and energy to be present, to be productive, to really tap in, to really check in on things, to be present to the world ourselves. And so, yeah, the more downtime we have, the more time off, the more stillness, the more ability for us to kind of ground ourselves and be more present. I love that. Someone else said, mini vacations such as camping or visiting loved ones and enough time to actually feel refreshed. Bam, see there it is, right? It's think about when you go on vacation, the first day or more is just settling in and letting go, right? Easing into this new way of being, this new structure and to get refreshed, it sometimes takes like a full day or two to really settle into that sweet spot. And for many people, by the time they may have start you know, excuse me, you might have started to feel refreshed. It's time to st- Get on that hamster wheel again. Uh, question tonight: What benefits would you get out of a four-day four day work week? Someone said I could actually look forward to planning things. Right now, I feel like I have nothing to look forward to. I know we're we're all in that, and that's why part of uh, you know getting through this is maybe building in those plans, and they can be long-term ones, you know, that after this is over, you're going to take yourself on a trip somewhere, or they could be the smaller ones, right? Um. What am I going to do at the end of the day? What am I going to do this weekend? Building in little things, things that are still within the regulations of you know how we're supposed to be moving through the world right now. I like that though. Question night. What benefits would you get out of a four-day work week? Someone said, "I day a day for myself, a day for family." and a day for meal prep and errands, all caps, yes, please. Yeah, I know, right? Day for you, day for family. You, that's that's what you're talking about though, right? Two days isn't enough to focus on you, to get some of the errands done, to maybe engage in a hobby, to also see friends and family members. All of that crushed into two days. It's not possible, or not at least to any true depth, right? Um, so I so appreciate that. We'll see what happens though, you know? Listen, there's more and more talk about this. This is something that's kind of like, building momentum i i keep seeing different studies and references and questions of the night and conversations around this so maybe there's something something to it uh thanks to all those that participated question nights always up on our loveline ig page and the stories coming up next we're going to be sliding on into those dms you're listening to loveline with dr chris on the new channel q and on radio.com All right, we're back. It's time to slide on into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. We want you to explore it with confidence. Here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris, I found a really great guy on a dating app. He's handsome, super nice, funny. Ugh! that's that's all that matters. Case closed. Uh, This is gonna sound dumb, but he doesn't want to FaceTime. I know this is a catfish material, but (laughs) I even asked him to send me a picture with a spoon and a note on it one day and he did and it looked like the pictures. But what else can I do if he doesn't want to FaceTime to make that next step? Or does that mean he doesn't want to take the next step uh, let's <laughs> put a smile on my face so I appreciate you taking care of your uh, taking care of yourself enough and being confident enough to say listen if you're not gonna FaceTime, I gotta you know make you go through these hoops to really show me that you're the person you say you are so that's great it's it's interesting to me I yeah. look it might be severe body dysmorphia there are some people that don't like the way they look on film and so photo only I, I, I can't imagine that he falls into that small percentage so ask like I need to know what that's about. Let me know because you know it is it is a next step. It's a, it's another way forward socially, but also it's to see him more and and deeper, right? Cuz you're going to see him in motion. You're going to you you also, you know, you text, right? So it's quick bursts of connection or intimacy. But FaceTime it's more ongoing. You don't just um, you know, Except look at each other and hang up. You know, you have to actually like sit with them. And so we find out more about chemistry and compatibility. I think it's vital. Photos are one dimensional and they don't show all angles. We can't assess chemistry and compatibility. FaceTime, you can do both. Compatibility, because you get to talk, you see what happens when our personalities you know, come together. Also, chemistry, because you're seeing him move. You need dynamicism to assess that. A flat, one dimensional picture won't do it. So look, maybe he's also anxious. Uh, maybe you need to give it more time. I don't know how, how recent this is, but if you talk for another couple days ongoing and it feels really solid and then they won't get on FaceTime, it's a red flag for me because it'd be interesting if they were saying, yeah, no FaceTime, but I'll meet you in real time. You could push for that. Look, interested people like signs of interest. So if you really do like this person, maybe say, okay, FaceTime, cool, I get it. Um, or well, maybe I don't get it, but FaceTime, okay, I'll respect that boundary. Do you want to meet me uh, for an outdoor socially distanced masked coffee? <laughs> because I'm down with that for you guys. And if they say no to that, then that's a massive red flag. And you need to say, listen, um, I can't keep progressing forward in terms of intimacy building over text. If you're unwilling to take it any forward in any other way because you're not just looking for a text based relationship, right so there's a there's a final resting point where it's time to move on if they won't you know really honor the intimacy that's being built on one level in other ways, perhaps um but I think you need to give it more time and maybe see what that's about because yeah, I don't know how to really make sense of that, so yeah, good luck with that one. Listen, it all comes out, and that's what I try to say to people you think you think that this stuff doesn't matter, but everything matters, everything counts. So when you're initially engaging someone on a dating app, remember that all of that is part of their association with you. Part of that is how they feel around you. Part of that is the meaning they make out of you. Don't think it doesn't count because we're just on the app or it doesn't count because we just started texting. All of that is built in implicitly and in their unconscious when they're thinking about you. So be kind to everyone, be confident with everyone. Be your true self with everyone. It all counts. It's not like until we actually meet up, all of my behavior the way I treated someone or what I said or how I showed up, that's not relevant at that point. It is. So, um Yeah but we have so much technology. Utilize that stuff. Maybe maybe he'll get on Snapchat. <laughs> maybe it's a personal issue with FaceTime. I don't know, though. They're red flags. It's very catfishy, but God bless. But I respect that you like them. We'll see what happens. But let me know. Slime the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world, and we want you to explore with confidence. That's our show. You can check out old episodes podcasted over at wearechannelq.com. And also, hope you're checking out my live stream show. I'm listening live. It will be tomorrow night, Thursday, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, on all the radio.com handles. Experts and celebrities always go back to all the radio.com handles and check out past episodes. It's good stuff. You know, it's one of the few platforms where we're talking to diverse people, but um, we're talking about mental health. It's rare that that's brought up in people's interviews. It's always just about their projects and the work, but rarely we don't talk about individuals' mental health. All of that in service of destigmatizing the discussion. So, you know, forms got to match content. That's why we do it. All right, y'all. Thanks for hanging out with me. Have a great rest of your night and uh, be well.